right. Welcome to episode six of the BJJ Tap podcast. I'm your host, Mose Jones Yellen. I'm a purple belt training at Team Link in Hooksit, New Hampshire. Team Link! Today's show kicks off what I'm planning as a three-part series about the analogies that we use in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And each episode will explore a different single analogy. Today's episode, it's about Jiu-Jitsu as physical chess. The second piece will be about learning jujitsu is like learning how to swim, the ground is an ocean, that whole family of metaphors. The third episode in this series will be about grappling matches as dialogues between two players. Uh, martial arts as a language that we learn, vocabulary of techniques and persuasive arguments and that sort of stuff. These are three of the common metaphors that get bandied about in this art. And I think it might be interesting to pull some of those threads and see what holds these analogies together and where these ideas begin to fall apart. So that's what we're going to do today. Jiu-Jitsu as chess. And as always, if you're enjoying this episode, please subscribe. Please share it with your training buddies. And those of you who have been along for the ride already know uh, this podcast does not have a regular schedule. So I apologize in advance for that, but I appreciate your patience and continued support. And thank you for listening. Let's get started. All right. The chess analogy, huh? So let's just start with an established definition of analogy. Most of you are familiar with the term, but just so we're all on the same page. Uh, origins of the word are Greek, logos, ratio, analogia, proportion. It's a term that we use that is indicative of a relationship between two things. Usually it's a similarity. Usually it's a parallel uh, relationship between two entities and people use it all the time to talk about jujitsu uh jujitsu is physical chess analogies are often used to shed light on subjects i'm literally using an analogy right now to try to explain the definition of analogy but you know life is like a box of chocolates america is a melting pot sometimes you're the hammer sometimes you're the nail these are statements that make a complex argument in a beautiful, poetic matter of moments. And that's what we're attempting to do when we say that jujitsu is physical chess. Analogies are pretty awesome. Uh, it helps with problem solving, helps with decision making, prediction, communication. Analogies are a tool that help humans learn and help us make sense of the world around us. So when a particular analogy is part of the common vernacular, it can be worthwhile to explore it a bit, to pull it apart. Quick outline of the episode, it's gonna be three segments. First segment, quick little chit chat on what we usually mean when we use the chess analogy. Second portion, where does this analogy fall apart? Third portion, we're gonna look at a handful of quotes from various chess masters that have interesting parallels to some of the things that we know about jujitsu. All right, segment one. What do we usually mean when we use this analogy? Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is physical chess. You can imagine this conversation on the side of the mats, you know, two, three people just sitting together watching someone roll and we'll see something impressive and we'll say, ah, you know, 
man, it's physical chess. It's kind of, or, you know, someone will shake their head in wonder. And be like, ah, oh, man, it's like chess. It's like chess. And what we usually mean is that it's complicated. It's mentally rigorous. It's a game with strategy. You know, there's, there's misdirection. There's, there's levels to this. There's this huge gap between experts and people at that novice level. You know, that's what we usually are remarking on when we're talking about there being a chess-like aspect of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's worth noting that we're also trying to steal some of the shine off of chess. You know, chess is an honorable pursuit. It beats the heck out of rolling around on the floor in PJs. Let's talk about where the parallels cease when it comes to chess and jiu-jitsu. The physical aspect of grappling cannot be overstated. It is your body on the mat. And because it's your body on the mat, your physical attributes make a huge difference in jiu-jitsu in a way that they just don't in chess. Your speed, your strength, your agility, all of these things, your flexibility, all of these things inform your grappling in a way that they just do not matter in chess. While chess is not an athletic pursuit, competitive chess is physically demanding. There's no doubt. I imagine their heart rates are all jacked up. And you can find plenty of quotes from chess masters about the physical rigors of their matches and the training regimen that they maintain. There's also the realities of the stresses, physical stresses, that are involved in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Managing the physical pressures of being forcibly manipulated on the mat and pitting yourself against a fully resisting opponent is much more visceral, is much more tangible, is a different sort of stress than the stresses on a playing board. And unfortunately for grapplers, the wear and tear on the body is unique and often puts a limit to the longevity of people's competitive careers. Both pursuits have a consistency in their constraints, in the rules that govern the activity, the aims and the goals, what constitutes victory. Your rooks can always move vertically and horizontally any number of spaces, just like your partner's rooks. Knights move in an L-shaped pattern, two up, one over, or vice versa. Your joints have their defined ranges of motion. There's some variability, player to player, but generally... Elbows have a limit. If you compress the carotid arteries for a few moments, your partner will always go to sleep. But the simplicity of board game mechanics is entirely different from the, the complexity of biomechanics. So while the consistency is a similarity, the types of variables the possibilities of what you can encounter and, and what you can create are on two different levels. Chess is a, a distilled, simplified model of medieval warfare. Grappling is no such thing. Another thing that these two activities have in common is the emotional resonance that practitioners feel with their given pursuit. I'm thinking of the joys 
of training, the relationships with training partners and opponents, the all-encompassing obsession that many people feel for both chess and grappling. There's something about the communities of these pursuits that is of a piece. In the scheme of things, very few people grapple. In the scheme of things, very few people play chess. And if you spend your time, your recreational hours, your life pursuing these activities, you become very familiar with others that are of your ilk, birds of a feather. The communities are not that large. You know who the players are. You develop long-standing relationships. The number of people out there with your shared interests are pretty small. When you find out that the new guy at the office is a blue belt, there's usually a sense of camaraderie, a little kindred spirit, a little connection. I imagine it's the same for chess players. You might feel each other out a little bit to figure out you know, how you'd stack up against each other, but that's, that's similar in both worlds. There's a common bond within both communities that is generally heartwarming. All right, so there's a handful of quotes that jumped out at me as particularly interesting from a grappling analogy perspective. Uh, the first by, let's see, Irving Chernev. The sign of a great master is his ability to win a one game quickly and painlessly. To my mind, that is very apt to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. There are painless victories. There are masters on the mat who, once they've arrived in a position, once they've achieved a position of dominance, victory is imminent. And because it's grappling and not striking, victory is painless quite often. Uh, you know, I think I've talked about the beauty of grappling arts versus striking arts in that respect. but. Uh, the ability to win a one game. We can parse, we can pull that apart to a one game. That that exists in chess, where you've reached a position of dominance, an arrangement of dominance. It exists in grappling just the same. Positional strength leads to victory. Position before submission was the classic quote, and that's still a path to victory for most grapplers. The second quote. Bobby Fischer, perhaps the most popularly recognized uh, chess master in this country at least. That's what chess is all about. One day you give your opponent a lesson, the next day he gives you one. Clear parallels to jiu-jitsu there. People like to talk about you win or you learn as the philosophy of, of the jiu-jitsu training experience or the jiu-jitsu competition experience. Um, but part of what this alludes to is that there is a relationship with opponents and training partners, and there's a constant growing and learning and give and take that occurs with this art that seems to occur in chess as well. There's also an indication here that the training, the education process in both pursuits involves a large amount of sparring with training partners, with you know friendly opponents, challenging yourself, experimenting with well-matched partners. You know, makes sense. The third quote, this is probably my favorite of the, of the bunch here, and this is from Rudolf Spielman, who's both a chess master, also something of a renowned author within the chess community, 
and he's got beautiful language here. He says, play the opening like a book, the middle game like a magician, and the end game like a machine. I think we all kind of wish our jiu-jitsu played out like that. Uh, but there's, there's wisdom in it. There is something about, first of all, the progressive sequence of phases, you know, very clear in grappling, very clear in chess. Uh, you know, we talk about the end game, borrow that language from chess. And this idea that there are styles that you embody it during those different phases. So the opening like a book, he's encouraging uh, a methodical approach, something easily read, you know, if we continue the analogy. You have complete agency. Before contact is made or in those initial grips, you can make all of the choices you want. It's very common for competitors to have established openings. They're clear about how they want to start. There's no hiding it. And, uh, and they play it like a book. They play the open like a book. The middle, like a magician. That's where the, the sleight of hand, uh, the deception comes in. The middle game, moving from those initial grips through to attacking positions. That's where the, the magic happens. You know, that's where there's, there's hidden means and methods. And then the end game, like a machine. So what's a machine like? You know, a machine is ruthless, unerring, relentless, unstoppable. You know, once you've, once you've achieved that closing, that dominant position, you click into that machine mode. It's a very, uh, it's a very compelling way to describe these, these phases of, of a chess match as well as a grappling match. Our fourth and final quote from Bruce A. Moon. A chess game is a dialogue, a conversation between a player and his opponent. Each move by the opponent may contain threats or be a blunder. But a player cannot defend against threats or take advantage of blunders if he does not first ask himself, what is my opponent planning after each move? I've already established that I like this analogy of dialogue, language, uh... Not surprised that that analogy works really well for chess as well, or really for any game, any contest. And this idea that chess is a dialogue, uh, you know, that's one of my favorite martial arts analogies, and we'll deal with that in a future episode. But there is more to this. We've talked about every move being uh, either a threat or a blunder. You know, that, that is very true in grappling, where most actions, most movements have both a risk and a reward. Almost all movements are intended to increase your advantage, but in some way offer an opening for your opponent. That's standard practice. Everything you do in jiu-jitsu has a bit of risk and reward. Bruce A. Moon is also talking about the, uh, the need to anticipate, the need to understand what your opponent's intentions are. You know, you must first ask yourself, what is my opponent planning after each move? And jiu-jitsu is the same way. You know, you, you, you need those huge advantages in being a step ahead or having the understanding of what your opponent intends. And there's a ton of other parallels between chess and jiu-jitsu. And I really, I'm just a white belt in chess. So, you know, I can look at these things and I don't really have a deep understanding I'm scraping the surface here. But in terms of strategies on the chessboard, controlling the center, controlling inside position, very familiar to jiu-jitsu players, versus attacking at range, 
you know, your, your rooks and your bishops attacking from the outer edges versus having your knights on the inside or even bishops on the inside as well. But those four squares are very powerful squares in the same way that on the mat, having that inside position allows you to take advantage of openings that your opponent may present. Chess also has forks and dilemmas. There's tempo, you know, there's a value of, of having momentum on your side, of being a step ahead. There are gambits and sacrifices and decoys and traps. You know, all of that language exists both on the mats and on the chessboard and in life. There's a lot of representation of war and, and conflict that happens on the chessboard, just like it happens on the Brazilian jiu-jitsu mats. There's also the phenomenon of techniques coming in and out of fashion within the competitive chess community, just like they exist within the competitive Brazilian jiu-jitsu community. You know, openings and defenses, guards and submissions, you know, we'll get names, you know, Sicilian defense and Queen's Gambit and the Catalan opening. These things very akin to, you know, De La Hiva guard and Barambolos and whatever comes next after K-Guard and outside Ashigarami or whatever. And there are also parallels amongst players and athletes around the learning process, around match study and stages of development of athletes, or stages of development of players, might be more accurate. There are dozens of ways that these two activities mirror each other. They certainly have more in common than most people would expect. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Uh, hopefully, there's some food for thought in the mix there. One thing I want to leave you with, a question and maybe some loose ideas for potential answers. Why are analogies so powerful? And there's, there's two answers that come to mind immediately for me. One, they're powerful because they help us make sense of the world around us. They let us take our understanding, our knowledge of something familiar, something mundane, and apply it to something extraordinary, something unfamiliar. That's a beautiful little way of growing. The second answer that comes to mind is that these analogies, they're just very effective ways to communicate. All right, that's it for today. Please subscribe, share with your buddies, and I'll see you next time. Peace.